Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Helen. That's an amazing passage. It's Jesus talking to the disciples at the Last Supper. This is just a short excerpt. There are pages of what he said at the Last Supper in John's Gospel. The words are Jesus' passionate heart poured out to his disciples and to whoever else was in the room at the Last Supper. I always like to think that there were a couple of um, waiting staff at the side who were exposed to the message of God. I think it must have been a kind of unnerving experience for the disciples because what he says is very deep and challenging and personal. Some of it is the kind of things that you say when you know you are going to die. It must have been a Passover meal with a difference. The disciples probably went to it remembering past meals eaten at the Passover. They were expecting ritual, food and a faith tradition that had been going on for centuries. Instead, Jesus talks his heart out to them. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. That sounds quite mystical the first time you hear it, the sort of statement that might just make you stop and say, can you run that past me again to the person who said it? Yet Jesus Calling himself the true vine is kind of astonishing and daring in a Jewish context. This is Jesus referring back to the image of Israel as the vine, which occurs nine times in the Old Testament. This cannot have been lost on his hearers. To me, it is a kind of statement that he makes to state his authenticity. Jesus is saying from now on, this is where you can find God. The vine is like the Jewish shorthand phrase for the true faith. Jesus is saying that he is the real faith. In effect, he is affirming that he is the Messiah, the Saviour, the Anointed One, the people of Israel have been waiting for. My father is the gardener. And yet he goes on. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. God will tend the vine. He will be a good gardener and make sure that the vine is fruitful. He will prune it if it becomes unproductive, a statement that I feel fear about in a way, because we we are called to productive lives as Christians. He will ensure that the vine is bountiful. This vine grew from a small start to one that is spread across the whole world into all countries. It is one vine. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. To the disciples, he has literally been the word that dwelt amongst them. Before they met him, they knew the written down word of God in Jewish scriptures. Yet they ended up living with this wandering preacher. And the word became alive with meaning and burnt within their hearts. They heard Jesus quote the word of God. But they saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. They heard him speak out the truth in a way that 
made sense of the prophetic utterances and the law. God's truth spoken out cleans us if we allow it to. The reason it does this is because it exposes the bits in our heart that we are holding back from God. The disciples had been so exposed to the teaching and healing of Jesus that they had been converted or cleaned already by his presence amongst them. Is it harder for us who haven't seen Jesus? In a way, yes, but Jesus is still present to us in our life and in our love. And the older I get, the more I am convinced of that. Has Jesus cleansed me? Yes, many times reading the Bible has exposed truth to me and guided me and brought me back. We are called to faithful love here and now. Right now, we are called to let the word of God dwell amongst us in our lives, in our loving and in our ordinariness. Remain in my love. Jesus says, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Remain, remain, remain. Keep in his love. Keep the faith. Don't escape the call that God has on your life. Maybe you should go through that passage after the service and count the number of times that the word remain is used. Jesus would definitely be in trouble with an English teacher for repeating the same word too frequently. But he does it as a preacher, emphasising, don't wander off from the truth. He knows that the disciples' faith will be tested just as ours is tested. Lay down your life. Love each other. Love is sort of out of fashion in the secular world. If you don't believe me, read the newspaper and ask yourself how many times love is mentioned. And that has a tendency to seep into our being and understanding. But Jesus will have none of that. Hate is for haters and it isn't very attractive. You are called to a higher path. You are called out of the darkness of sin and division. You are called to be a person who makes a difference, a person with Christ's love in them. If in God we move and live and have our being, then in love we move and live and have our being. If Christ's love truly lives within you, then you are moved to act in ways that are more loving. It's true that there are four or five types of love. Predominantly, we are called to express our love in caring and sharing and kindness. It's a mixture of friendship and charity. And then Jesus says, I call you friends. Perhaps that's why this statement is extraordinary. I ask you, what kind of glorious and amazing God is this that calls us friends? If you've studied world religions, this is what makes Christianity so different. There is no other religion like this where God calls you friends. In the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells, we hear of a God who stoops down to greet us, who waits for us on the road with forgiveness. Yet here now, this morning, Jesus is calling you his friend. It seems to me that at the Last Supper, Jesus wants to say, this is it, guys. God is so in love with you, he wants to call you into friendship. Prepare for a deeper relationship with your God. 
And this isn't the devalued friendship of Facebook. This isn't God randomly looking at your feed. This is the complete and utterly wonderful, deep friendship between best friends. The kind of friendship where you have time for each other, where you can sit on a park bench for an afternoon, wasting time gracefully, maybe talking about nonsense for a bit, and then every now and then talking about things that really matter. Come, Jesus, today, show us in our hearts what a wonderful statement that is, and may we be worthy of the name friend. It seems to me the key component of true deep friendship is trust. Mutual trust, not just one way. Trust needs to be both ways. A lot of worldly friendships fail because trust is broken by one person betraying confidences or speaking about the other behind their back. But forgiveness can mend that. In calling us into friendship, God is calling us to trust him and I think for us to be faithful to him. But it's about real deep friendship And it isn't built in a day or at the click of a mouse button. It is something that grows deeper with time and only if we nurture it and encourage it to develop. As Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last and so that whoever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. What, what is our testimony? Friends have stories to tell each other. Well, not made-up stories. They tell each other the tales of everyday life. What happens is shared, and they learn together from what goes right or wrong. I remember when my daughter Rachel was growing up, the telephone seemed to burn every evening with the latest uh, drama that had been going on at school. I've never given my testimony in this church, but my story is about a God who heals and rescues. It is my life journey and nobody else's, but I find it fascinating that so many of us here at Burlington have been healed, or at the very least changed in ways that to the world would seem impossible. If we're going to share our friendship and faith, we need to be able to share our faith journey with other people. It is worth being prepared to do this. Being prepared means actually having written it down at some point or practiced saying it to someone. As an evangelist, I have learned that I have more than one version of my life story. Um, But they are all true things that happen to me. Some are short and some are long. And what I say to people is prompted by what they say to me. I have felt prompted to talk to you this morning about friends who forgive each other. I have learned about the power of forgiveness. Should I explain? Life is about real things that happen to us and how we react to them. They make us what we are or at least certainly help shape us. Threaded through my life, I believe I can see a golden thread of love. And I don't mean my love. I mean the love of God given to me unconditionally by other people. That is the golden thread. In 1987, I ended up going to Relate. Um, That's a counselling service. And it was quite interesting. I viewed myself as a man of peace, really, up until that point. And then uh, counselling revealed to me that I wasn't actually a man of peace, that I was carrying around with me unresolved anger 
from my childhood. I'm the son of, uh, obviously, two parents. My, my mother was a woman of God, and my father was a chronic alcoholic um, and a paranoid schizophrenic. And really, I, I was, as a young man, I, I forget how old I was in 1987, but as a young man, I was carrying around with me anger. And so the counselling revealed to me that I was holding this anger. And I didn't know what to do about it because it's secular counselling, so they're just like, it's the talking cure. So you discover something and then have to do something with it. So what happened with me was that I taught a prayer group about it and we ended up, over a period of about a year, um, people prayed with me with the laying on of hands. She's... It sounds spooky, but really all they do is put their hand on you and pray over you. Um, and over a period of a year, I was healed of that anger. But the, the healing came when I learned that I, what I needed to do was forgive my father, which was difficult in a way because he had actually died, so I couldn't actually go and see him or talk to him about it. But that, that was the catalyst, was understanding the need for forgiveness in my own life and being able to forgive my father. The, um, how I actually was able to... Uh, somebody suggested that I sit on a chair and that they would pray over me, but that they would pray for my father while touching me. And that, that was the moment that I received a release in my spirit, really, and that all the anger that I felt within me just went. And I, I felt kind of clean inside since. So I'm telling you that because that, that is my story. That is me being cleaned through the word of God and through my own experience. So I've called the next section, Be a Living Letter. In prof- Preparing for today, I kind of had two readings in mind. They came out of my prayer time, and I feel they are relevant. The first was the reading Helen read at the beginning. And as you know, I chose the title, Living as a Friend of Jesus, for this this talk. And the following passage speaks to my heart, um, which is on the next slide. So... You yourselves are the letter we have, written on hearts for everyone to know and read. It is clear that Christ himself wrote this letter and sent it by us. It is written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. We say this because we have confidence in God through Christ. There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable of doing this work. The capacity we have comes from God. It is he who made us capable of serving the new covenant, which consists not of a written law, but of the spirit. The written law brings death, but the spirit brings life. Which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. You and I are living letters written by God on human hearts. I am a living message about God, which is a bit scary. It is an awesome task if you choose to accept it. Not impossible, 
because the capacity that I have in order to do it comes from God. If we let him, God renews us daily for this task through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us when we obey him. The joy of the gospel. And there is joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, Jesus says. The joy of the gospel comes from following the gospel. The gospel is the good news about God. We need to be good news to be a friend of Jesus. It's a different kind of joy to that of the world. It's a kind of serenity and peace that comes out of prayer and daily friendship encounters with Jesus through the reading of the word or discovering the word with other people. Difficult and painful things still happen, but we can have an attitude to them that is changed because of faith. It's not because we are unreal. If anything, it is because we are being more real. So, airway, breathing and circulation. (laughs) So, how are you going today in this friendship road? How are you doing? I remember when I did my first aid course, they asked us to remember ABC if we were to be the first on the scene of an accident. We needed to check airway, breathing and circulation. I'm no expert. Apparently, if you have an absence of any of those, you will die. They also said, check the quiet ones first, as they may be more in imminent danger. There are some quiet ones here. I hope I haven't pushed you into even more quietness. But if you need first aid to get back on course with your Christian life, here is some advice. Airway, clear the air and talk to God as you would a friend. If you feel at the lowest low, just tell him, Clear the air. Let honesty prompt your thinking about the Lord. Breathing. Take in the things of God. Go for a long, quiet walk in the countryside and breathe in the sights and sounds of the countryside or breathe in the gospel of Christ by reading or listening to his words. Circulation. Spend time with other Christians for fellowship and friendship. Find people who are good for you and let your faith encourage each other. If you're new in the faith talk to someone, um, go and find someone who seems peaceful and ask them for stuff. Ask for prayer if you need it. This is a church that prays a lot. Here is a text for when we recognise we are a sinner or for when we witness a sinner in action. And we need to know this text. This is from Mark 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in a way, the church is a place for sinners, which is quite the opposite of the way the world views it. Help us, dear God, to bring people to Dr. Jesus, to lead people, to love people. And Jesus, heal me of my own iniquities. God wants to conquer us all with his love. I am a sinner. I must be. He calls me every day to pursue him. I am a follower of Jesus, traipsing after him. He has the message of eternal life. He is guiding us into the way of peace, into joy. May we be yours, Jesus. May we be yours. And the final thing I have to say is pray and row to shore. There's a story about 
a guy in a boat who um, gets a hole in the boat and he's in the middle of the lake and he just sits there praying. But really, we need to pray and start rowing to shore because then there's a chance that we will be saved. I'm not sure that if I explain that last bit very well, but the thing is, every day we should be taking action trying to do good where it is within our power or capacity, but praying helps us. I'm encouraging you this morning to recommit yourself as a friend of Jesus, to be a living letter written on human hearts. I want to finish with two prayers. The first is from John Newman. It is a prayer of trust. It says, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for nothing. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it if I do but keep his commandments. Therefore I will trust him wherever I, whatever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. The second prayer was written by Liam, uh, Liam Rutter, Matt Holmes, and Rand, and myself one Saturday morning. Matt's panicking now because I don't think he can remember it. (laughs) It was, dear Jesus, we each wrote a bit of this prayer and joined it together. Dear Jesus, I stand at the crossroad this morning. I claim my spirit of sonship. I don't need man's empty praise. I need you. I stand in that need and I ask you to send your Holy Spirit today to renew me. Increase the gifts of the Holy Spirit in me so that I may see love, joy and peace. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. Help me not to falter. Help me to go forward with you. Let me avoid the temptation to be great. I want to share the good news about Jesus. Give me opportunities. Let me be a man of encouragement to other people. Help me to resist temptation. And let me be someone who blesses and does not curse. Amen.